guys, welcome to episode 40 of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I am your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode, I had the pleasure in interviewing T.S. Wiley. T.S. Wiley is the author of one of my favorite books of all time, Lights Out. So on this show, myself and T.S. talked about everything and anything to do with circadian rhythms and how circadian rhythms have such a massive influence on our overall health and wellness. So this was an absolutely brilliant show. This is without question one of my favorite interviews I've done. I hope you guys really enjoyed this show. And uh, that's pretty much it. Any feedback in the show, let me know. As I said, I really enjoyed it. It's definitely one of my favorite shows. And anyone who knows me knows I love talking about circadian rhythm. So it's a great show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Okay, T.S. Wiley, it is an absolute honor to have you on my podcast because your book is one of my top three books and uh, personally I just want to say thank you for writing that book because uh, with regards to my health it was a massive game changer so thank, thanks a for writing that book so I really look look forward now to this podcast can you just give uh, an introduction um, about yourself and how Lights Out came about oh well you're welcome first and I'm I have a family that you know I looked at now this is you remember uh 14 years ago I wrote this book. This book is old, old, old. Says Whiskers on it. And I'm looking at my kids and my husband. I have five kids. And everybody's pseudo-diabetic. I had written a book with a doctor called Low-Fat Lies, which was about the fact that, you know, the, the whole paleo thing now and Atkins was more reasonable. I knew that 14 years ago than the low-fat movement because they had things like cranberry juice, you know, with <laughs> low-fat on it which was hilarious, and I wanted to understand why the world didn't see what I saw. In other words, you know, there are three food groups. There's protein, fat, and carbohydrates, and if you take out protein and fat, which they did 14 years ago, you know, what are you going to eat? Rocks and sugar. That's all that was left. And I couldn't figure out here in America how the American public fell for that, why the Surgeon General, the person in charge of food recommendations, would even suggest that you would take out protein and fat and you could be better or lose weight or whatever. So I think the the watershed moment for me was when I realized that I needed to know why people just craved sugar. In other words, they fell for that idea because it was easy. That meant you could eat any, you know, you could drink cranberry juice all day. You could eat anything that was sugar and you would be healthy and I thought I have to understand that and in trying to understand that it became very obvious and you know having red lights out in the first few chapters that people crave sugar when the light is long yeah all animals do I mean all animals the whole idea is the sun is the energy that gives us life and it's contained in packets in plants so when you eat carbohydrates, you're getting the same kind of energy, super energy. And you would eat that all the time. There's long light and lots of plants, and then you'd store it. And you're, you'd store it in you as fat. You know, the water breaks off. And fat's a lighter form of storage. And you'd have it for all winter long when everything goes dormant. When the plants go dormant, you go dormant, everything. And once I figured out that it was sleep loss that made people hungry because you know the lights on at night when you flick a switch are a false trigger it makes you believe it's summer so it becomes eternal summer in your head 
and you're constantly craving carbohydrates. So instead of having one summer of long light and high sugar intake, you do it all year round. So it's like, you know, four summers because they're about three months long. So you age four times as fast. You get cancer faster, diabetes faster. I mean, that's how I came about the whole idea, Robbie, was figuring out people's motivations and how that reflected in terms of biology and desire and then how that looked health-wise. And timing is everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you know it's it's so funny, and you can probably relate to this. But like when I give health talks and I get onto the topic, then circadian rhythms, people are shocked when you when you tell them that artificial light is like one of the most detrimental things for their health. So like, I mean, just can you speak about how important circadian rhythm is to our health? Well, in the time since I wrote that book, people have started to look, and I talked about Per and Tim, these two protein products that are like a Chinese water clock, you know, when they build up and tip to the next one and tip to the next one. Human beings, along with everything else on the planet, evolved to survive in the rhythms of the planet. And the rhythm of the planet is spin, tilt, wobble, trip around the sun, there's revolution and rotation. The planet rotates, but we revolve around the sun. And those weather cycles, certainly a lot of what we're seeing now, and then the food supply that comes from it, food and water, depend on cosmic events. And one of the first things I do, I teach doctors, about 50 of them at a time, in a planetarium. Because without giving them a planetarium show, kind of a you are here, like that map at the airport, (laughs) you are here to tell them that their patients are on a planet that's spinning a thousand miles an hour under our feet while you and I are talking, you know, in and out of the light of the sun, and then taking a trip around the sun every year, there's circadian, which is daily, circannual, which is seasonal, they have no idea. Everyone in the last hundred years, certainly 50, have been cut off from the idea that there's a day-night cycle because mm-hmm. you can turn the lights on. You can take two days to one. Yeah. You know, you never run out of energy. You never... A light bulb at the turn of the century was $1,400 and it's $1.40 now. Yeah. So as energy gets cheaper and cheaper and everyone has it, and now there are iPhones. You stare at your iPhone all night or you stare at your computer. Um, that People have no idea. The doctors are as shocked as the patients that there might be something that would make you sick if you're not spinning with the planet. Mm, mm. Can you, in, in your book, you, you touch on how circadian mismatches lead to things like obesity, diabetes, depression, heart disease, and cancer. So with regards to obesity and diabetes, I, I think we understand that. I think, you know, it's the overconsumption of sugar. So I have to say that I, I've read, I personally read your book three times, and chapter six was always the one I found the hardest to get, which was about the depression link and the dopamine and the cortisol. So could you go into that a little bit for people? Well, yeah. You have a serotonin rhythm and an insulin rhythm and a dopamine rhythm and a cortisol rhythm. Yeah. That is all driven by light and dark cycles. Mm. And, for example, when you don't go to bed 
your serotonin through something called N-acetyltransferase, an enzyme, can't turn into melatonin. Yeah. And when the serotonin builds up high enough, it's a fear response. It's, it's why you can't get out of the chair. It's why you're paranoid. Because when you're in an accident, for example, a car accident. You know how everything seems to move in slow motion? Most of us have been in some kind of car accident. <laughs> That's serotonin changing your time perception. Yeah. When you, when you are being chased by an animal, most of us aren't these days, your serotonin would go up and cause you to blood clot faster because there are serotonin receptors on blood platelets. Serotonin response is very defined in nature. And when you can't turn serotonin into melatonin, you get more and more paranoid, more and more depressed, more and more lethargic. You can't, it's that I can't run a chair stuff. Mm-hmm. And conversely, you see people who are depressed stay up all night trying to get their serotonin so high it will flip to dopamine. And it will do that. When it gets high enough without conversion, you swing the other way to dopamine and that's how you get giddy in the middle of the night and you eat and you, you know when you stay up all night in America they call it the Rams you just, you just get funny but the reality is it is the basis of bipolar disorder Yeah. swinging back and once you start to swing you may not be able to stop mm. that swing and that's bipolar disorder by the same notion people who sleep all day are desperately trying to turn uh, serotonin into melatonin. So you get depressed, people who either sleep all day or stay up all night. Yeah, yeah. Now you can wear red sunglasses. It's very helpful. If you go get red sunglasses, the enzyme N-acetyltransferase that takes serotonin to melatonin keeps you awake all day. It, it, it's blue light. So when you wear red sunglasses, which block blue and green, you're not, you're letting that enzyme come up Brilliant. and you can more easily turn serotonin to melatonin. That's why the sunset is blue to pink to black. That pink phase of the sunset is helping you start to convert. Conversely, waking up at dawn, which is black to pink to blue, is another normal, and if you want to control your cortisol, if you want to reestablish a normal pulsatility of cortisol, you get up at dawn, take a 10-minute walk, you go take a 10-minute walk at sundown, try to go to bed no later than two, av- two hours after sundown, certainly wear pink sunglasses so it's like you're in sunset, and you can remodulate cortisol pulsatility. Just an interesting point with the, I wear glasses too sometimes. Now I, I don't stay around artificial light that much, but any time that I'm forced, to, I always wear my blue blocking glasses. But I, I've always I've asked the question: if the light is still getting onto your skin, any part of your skin, does that still downregulate melatonin? Because there is a part in your book where you talked about the fiber fiber optic part behind the person's knee. So will you will you still be losing melatonin production if the if the light is on any part of your skin? Is it just that you lose less if it doesn't go into your your eye? Well, your eye is the primary circadian zeitgeber or gatekeeper, but you're not wrong. Wherever light hits your skin, and particularly artificial light at night, is is a disaster because the spectrum 
is so off. Yeah. The spectrum of artificial light, just a light bulb, is nothing like natural light spectrum. So there's a guy named Ott, O-T-T, Dr. Ott, and he talked about spectrum lighting back in the 70s and leukemia and other things, you know, fluorescent lights in children in schools. He's very interesting. But, um, yeah, no, you're right. The, the, what you're talking about is the University of Chicago study where they used a fiber optic cable and blacked out a whole person, you know, covered them and then yeah. put them in a dark, uh, blacked out room so they were sure no light was coming in. And the fiber optic cable was to the back of the knee. Yeah. And it was the size, I think, of a dime. Yeah. And that person's melatonin production was lowered by 80%. 80%, yeah, it was just it so, was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and it's just yeah, it, it is amazing. So like when when people always you know ask me to like uh, summarize your book, I basically say we we live in endless summer. We have heated homes, light twenty four seven, and and the fact that we have got global transport, we have carbohydrates twenty four seven, and that just was never available at any time time in our evolution. So as you said, at summertime we you know we reproduce because there was more light, there was more carbohydrates in the summer, and we were also getting prepared then for the winter i always tell people that like as again this is all your work so you know this that i say like a lot of the modern diseases nowadays were just perennial adaptations for the winter but the fact we have no winter anymore the fact we have endless summer this is why these diseases are coming about we don't have the winter to reverse the obesity the diabetes the the, the higher cholesterol the higher serotonin um so we you know we never go into ketosis we never sleep it off so uh you know it's um the, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was we talked about the bipolar and depression. Uh, maybe just talk about how, how the, the circadian mismatch can talk about the heart disease or, or, or be a contributor to heart disease. Well, heart disease is fascinating because you have your, your cardiac metabolism, your heart's consumption of energy has a summer and a winter schedule. In the summer, you use carbohydrates, glucose, to run your heart. In the winter, you use uh, fatty acid metabolism to run your heart. So the cholesterol buildup, uh, LDLs, IDLs, LDLs, are all used, I mean, if we go with the hibernation hypothesis and, you know, you can't take in sugar anymore, are all used in the winter scenario to run your heart. Well, if you never stop taking in sugar, needless to say, the numbers, if you care about numbers, and we know you know, more and more every day that those numbers don't actually mean what they think you do. Yeah. Um, we think they do. But it's it's a matter of never using up the fatty acids to run your heart in the winter. You're still taking in sugar the whole time. Mm. And the problem is when you take in carbohydrates, you not only, you know, I said that you, you have serotonin, receptors on your blood platelets, but you also carry around 10 or 15 pounds of water while you're making the fat out of the carbohydrates. So like the Dr. Atkins diet of, of, you know, back in the day, the minute you go on protein and fat, you suddenly lose 10, 15 pounds of water weight. Mm -hmm. And of course, nutritionists would say, what a phony diet, you know, you lost water weight. But the reality is the water weight you carry around on constant carbohydrate consumption increases your blood pressure just a tiny bit. It's almost clinically observable, but it's enough to create the Venturi effect. It's enough to create subclinical hypertension, which means that extra amount of fluid is 
rushing through your veins and arteries, small space, mm. and it, it, it creates tension, which creates eventually what we call hardening of the arteries or, or tension, stiffer arteries because they're trying so hard to push it along. You've got subclinical hypertension causing the blood to rush into your heart and sort of wing around those apexes where arteries come in. Now your heart is lined with a layer of cells called the intima. Yeah. And the intima is the endothelial lining in your heart, and they're sentient. In other words, they're reading like a thermostat in a room, uh, temperature and what's in your blood and how fast it's going, and on and on, and they respond. They change the environment because the environment has changed them. Mm. So what happens is they crawl away. They have pseudopodia, little feet, and they don't like the sheer stress of your blood rushing in that fast around those apexes, so they tend to crawl away. And when they do, you have a wound, and the compensatory mechanism, two most important words in medicine, compensatory mechanism, what you do to compensate. The compensatory mechanism on that bare spot on your aorta is a foamed cell, and what that means is white blood cells, macrophages, leukocytes, lymphocytes, and cholesterol come rushing in because it's an immune response, mm -hmm. come rushing in to patch it. Mm. And when they make a patch, cholesterol will build up behind it, the foam cells get fibrous, and now you've got what's considered arterial placking. Yeah. Now, if that occludes the space enough, and now you've got blood clots swimming in high serotonin from the insulin, from the carbohydrates, they're stickier. Mm -hmm. So these sticky blood cells form blood clots. And if one sticks where those platelets come together, or those plaquings come together, you have a, a MI, a heart attack. Yeah, and then, of course, the heart is starved of blood. So to be in a summertime scenario constantly, mm -hmm. and this is part of the hibernation hypothesis, you've got to go down. You've got to get dark. You've got to sleep. You've got to eat no sugar. you got for some part of the year to reset receptors, to use up substances, to to be spinning with the planet, to be in rhythm. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's it goes back to yin yang. You can't have all yin and no yang, and you can't have all yang and no yin. Uh, you get the great analogy in the book of the log on on the or the board on the log all the time. Yeah, you're standing on a board on a log, and you don't want to touch the ground because it's a long way down. Yeah, and it's the old no cold without hot, no man without woman, no dark without light, no. And your body has evolved in that scenario. And there's no free lunch. You just can't do it all the time. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, gonna... I, I love I, I love that saying, no free lunch. I always Tim Ferriss always says that, you know, he says when you're whenever you're kind of doing a biohack on the body he's like it's never a free lunch because you know it, it, there's always such a fine homeostatic control so I, lo I always love that saying just before we go into ca cancer then and, and circadian mismatches another very important uh, area that we should talk about is this prolactin spillover and MPY's role with leptin this thing is this, this bit was very fascinating in your book 
Okay. Do you want to do it now, or are we coming back? No, Maybe no, yeah, break. no. Sorry, sorry. I mean, I, I thought I lost you there. I was like, oh no, she's gone. <laughs> uh, no, definitely. Let, let's, no, I'm here. Let's let, let let's let's go into that. So let's go into before we go into cancers, uh, the the circadian mismatch with cancer. Let's talk about the prolactin spillover first. All right, prolactin was named where it was found, which is in breast milk. Mm. Uh, science tends to do that, whether it's accurate or not. And while prolactin is a major factor in producing milk and surviving, it's a survival hormone in a much bigger way. Prolactin not only controls prostatic fluid, you know, in, in men through the prostate, because it makes the sugar-rich fluid that the sperm get to travel in, give them, you know, a little lunchbox to go out for three days, do the job. But prolactin, so it's survival for sperm, it's survival for baby, it's survival for you. Prolactin controls your appetite for carbohydrates through um, uh, a protein called neuropeptide Y. Mm. Neuropeptide Y or NPY as I said, controls your carbohydrate appetite, dopamine controls your protein appetite, and something called gallatin controls fat appetite. So, prolactin is predominantly a summer phenomenon. Prolactin is controlled not only by pregnancy and, and giving birth, parturition, prolactin is controlled by light and, and melatonin. So, how many hours of melatonin you have before midnight controls how many hours of prolactin you'll have after dark. All of your immune system is controlled by prolactin. So when you're sleeping, your immune system's on full tilt. That's why, for example, when you're, you've got a broken ankle, torn muscle, something hurts, mm. it always hurts more at night because your immune system comes in and there's more inflammation. You're mm -hmm. healing and things are happening. When your cortisol drops and your melatonin happens, then prolactin keeps that going all night long. Now, when you have more than three and a half hours of melatonin before dark, so that's before midnight, I'm sorry, so that's like 8.30. Yeah. When you have more than three and a half hours, you have um, an hour and a half I'm sorry, six hours of prolactin after dark. Yeah. So your immune system's gone all night. We're in hibernation. You went to bed early. Everything's fine. Yeah. Wake up in the morning, do it again. When you have less than three and a half hours of melatonin before midnight, you only have an hour and a half of prolactin. That's a summertime scenario. Mm. And in the summertime scenario, that hour and a half of prolactin isn't enough, so it comes back the next morning. So will the melatonin. You know that feeling when you you feel drugged and you're half dead because you stayed up all night? That's a melatonin hangover, a rebound. It's yeah. coming back in the morning. Prolactin comes back in the morning as part of that scenario on purpose because in mating season, which is summertime, you must have your immune system on full tilt the whole time because mating season is a lot of biting. There's a lot of germs exchange. There's a lot of fighting. So all summer long, your immune system is supposed to be on, and prolactin comes back every morning. Yeah. And it's part of ovulation, and it's part of it's part of everything. However, when we never go to bed, that's how you live all year long. And when you live like that all year long, your 
full of inflammation, arthritis, MS, lupus, I could go on. You're impotent. Most men, you know, find that prolactin certainly causes ED, erectile dysfunction. You get more breast cancer because your breasts are just kind of ready to go all the time, mm. and they can't be. So that's the prolactin problem. So chronic, so it just... And so you're hungry for sugar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that because NPY is on. And so ju just to summarize that then, so chronic prolactin uh, production can be a major contributor to autoimmunity. Yeah. And and uh, impotence and breast cancer. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. And, and, and of course, yeah. it's impossible to control your appetite as a diabetic. Yeah, because because if prolactin is higher in the morning, NPY is 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 it's up, isn't it? And so then leptin is down, making you crave more sugar. Yeah, and that's supposed to go on for three or four months, not all year. Exactly, and it's going on all year. Like I just, I'm just because I, I'm so passionate about circadian cycles, and I was, I was like, I can't wait to get TS on my show because then I, because then I'll have this like this one podcast where I go just listen to this podcast. <laughs> so that's if I'm if you feel if if you feel like I'm kind of asking you these kind of redundant questions, that's kind of why. Um, so They're now redundant 13 years later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I know, 13 I, years later. I, yeah, not redundant. We're just doing it again. I just, I, I, I listen to, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, like with Sean on Underground Wellness, and obviously with, um, with Doctor Noel as well, Laura Noel, and it was funny because you were just like, it's funny. I wrote this book like 12 years ago, and only now, in the last like four or five years, is everybody like reading it, and I'm getting all the podcast interviews now. So you're just like, uh, and you're just kind of like, oh, I only wrote the thing like you know a decade ago, but anyway. So is it well, it's one of those deals where I tend to write a book about 10 years before anybody wants to read it. I'm working on a men's book right now called Die Hard, and it's about testosterone replacement and, and where men fit in the world and what happens to them and why they're suddenly so sick, you know. Yeah. Women, who wears the pants, and, you know, women wear the pants in this economy, and that's enough to make a man sick, okay? So, um, you know, some of it's emotional, perceptual, a lot of it's autoimmunity. No, that's, okay, well, so yeah, let's, I'm working on that book. Let, let's move on to the, the, the cancer question. How do circadian mismatches play into cancer? And I found this one, you know, very um, very interesting when you also spoke about the hormone replacement therapy and that hormone replacement therapy can be detrimental when insulin is high. You were making that very specific. So let's just speak about cancer. Well, the reality is cancer is, in, in most people, entropy. Mm. I mean, it can be viral. You, you can catch HPV. You can, you know, there are viruses that spike leukemia and brain cancer and uh, certainly um, cervical cancer. However, most cancer is entropy. Most cancer is unwinding and dissipating. In other words, your rhythms of sex hormones. In women, they're very defined and well accepted in endocrinology books. In men, it's harder to find that rhythm because they have drivers. Women are drivers, light is drivers, magnetism is a driver in men, mm. of, of a monthly rhythm that turns into a circannual one. Men are very much more um, around the year. Your hormones go up and down in three-month sequences around the year, as well as, you know, in a day, in a month, whatever. So those rhythms are maintained and then the template of your reorganization at the organ level, whether a liver remembers it to liver, or lungs continue to breathe, or hearts to beat, 
or reproductive organs to do their job. Those fine guidelines and definitions of hormone templates must remain so that the reorganization of cells as they grow go back into the template. When those hormone rhythms are shot, and a lot of them, well, all of them are connected to insulin, because insulin, you can't reproduce without food. (laughs) And when you have carbohydrates and when you have energy in food, your insulin responds. And insulin, for example, makes an estrogen receptor, an androgen receptor, and a thyroid receptor. So your insulin and cortisol, as a response to light and food, controls a catch and release of sex steroids. And when you've lived too long and eaten too much, your hormones, sex hormones, start to deteriorate. And we know that our primate cousins are in the same shape we are. They tend to die at 50, sometimes 60 in a zoo. They're non-reproductive in about the same time period we are, 40s, 50s. Um, In a zoo, of course, they're not killed by anything natural. They're just overfed and they sleep in lights all the time, so Mm. they kind of die diabetic. But the reality is, as those sex hormones unwind and as insulin goes up and makes more receptors, the chronic low levels of estrogen, with all these receptors that shouldn't be there, can foster breast cancer Mm. and other kinds. And insulin and testosterone, all of those are like gasoline on a fire. And we know that type 2 diabetics have more reproductive cancers, prostate cancer, breast cancer, and so on. So my idea when I wrote Sex, Lives, and Menopause, and now Die Hard, is to put hormones back in people in a normal template enough, quite a bit of hormones, so that you're about 20 inside. And then, although you're going to have problems if you don't eat right and you don't sleep right at least cancer may not be one of them because yeah, people people freak out when they hear hormone replacement therapy i actually interviewed a doctor called dr jack cruz i don't know if you're aware of him but uh, J- yeah. jack J- jack is you should actually look up his stuff because i was so sure jack was aware of your stuff because jack jack came up with this thing called the leptin reset and it was all about uh, a seasonal paleo diet circadian rhythms and cold thermogenesis you know, very much, you know, I think a lot, particularly the circadian stuff he talks about is very much in line with your thought process, but I asked him how he read Lights Out, and, and he said no, but I've heard good things about the book, but he said the only thing, the only thing that I may disagree on with the author is she uses hormone replacement therapy, and he, he's, he, 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 didn't, he didn't give like a definitive answer of his feeling on that, but I didn't get a chance to tell him, yeah, but TS from what I read does it very different to every other doctor, she does it like in, in rhythm, in season, and she's very, you know, the whole insulin thing too, that if you're taking... Uh, hormone replace therapy with lots, with lots of carbohydrates that could be detrimental so could you speak about maybe how you actually uh, prescribe uh, hormone replacement therapy oh yeah well, the Wiley protocol which you can find online has been around for 10 years now hmm. and I worked with an oncologist because cancer is the 800 pound gorilla in the room and we had 112 women with metastatic breast cancer who said they would rather die tomorrow than live another day the way they felt, so they found release forms. And they've been on the Wiley Protocol for over 10 years now. And in that 
group, they were post-diagnosed as post-standard of care. So they'd had radiation, chemo, whatever, um, hormone ablation. They'd had everything you could get from modern medicine except hormone replacement. And we used bioidentical hormones in biomimetic rhythms. In other words, we dose to make a rhythm that a 20-year-old woman would have, and we test in blood on day 12 and 21, the peaks of a female cycle, to make sure they have enough to put them in the range of 20 years old on a blood test. And uh, in that group, you would expect a 1 in 10 recurrence rate on the standard of care, so we should have had 12 or 13 people relapse. And we've had four and a half relapse. We, so we did 60% better than the standard of care over 10 years. And we also have one triple negative, and that means estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and HERNU2 receptor, EGFR receptor negative, who's lived 10 years and should have lived 10 months. So we're doing fine, thanks. <laughs> and we're going to try to repeat this study in men. With that's the Wiley protocol for men, which is rhythmic and high dose and bioidentical. That's awesome. T.S., a, a great a great question I got one time. You know, there's a guy Bruce Lipton who wrote a book, Biology Belief, and you know he he talks about how the environment shapes our genetics. Bruce Lipton, yeah, he's a very interesting man. Yeah. I know Bruce Lipton. Yeah, so you know, you know, the whole environment shapes our genetic expression, and just with, rega with, with regards to to light, the fact that we have endless summer now. Do, do, do you think that endless summer is going to be uh, something that will extinct humans or do you think it's something that you know a thousand years from now will actually the strongest will survive and will have adapted to it well it's been not even a hundred years and while evolution is daily minute by minute nanosecond to nanosecond through epigenetics we carry those changes that happen to us transgenerationally that's People are aware of methylation, histones, and RNAi now, which is how you change the production of a protein from a cell. So you can actually tag cells and then carry those changes transgenerationally. So it is possible that when that first woman said, hey, honey, why don't we grow this outside the door, and then the animals will yeah, come, yeah. agriculture and animal husbandry, that there was a mass die-off at the time of mm. people who couldn't take out-of-season carbohydrates and, and constant meat. And we are having a conversation, so some of us must have lived. <laughs> so your question that will that extinction take everybody, constant light, i got to tell you, Robbie, um, light's such a big deal in the existence of all things on this planet that I think the infertility we're seeing right now the inability to reproduce whether it's polycystic ovarian disease that goes along with hyperinsulinemia or whether it's you know people aging too fast and waiting too long I think it's a different kind of um, extinction yeah. I think you know what we're going to see is, you know, all the uh, assisted, called assisted reproduction. 30 babies have been born recently with three people's DNA. In other words, they took mothers with what are called exhausted cells. In other words, mom's too old and so are the eggs. 
and she's not making any new ones. And they shot the mitochondria of younger women's eggs into them. So now we got three sets of DNA with dad. Mm. These babies are born and they're living. I'm sorry, what did you say? No, no, I didn't say anything. Go ahead. Oh, I heard a voice. I'm sorry. Um, so I think in this brave new world that has such people in it, we may or may not see human beings that are frail because if you can shoot a mitochondria in there, you can shoot genes for longevity or carbohydrate consumption or what you can start to manufacture people who might live in an artificial world. Yeah, yeah. That, well, so I think that's that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, because what, another thing I love in your book is that you call what we live in today as virtual reality you know because when I sometimes when I speak to people about you know their nutrition and their circadian rhythm they're like yeah but like you know like what about you know like that's not real world they'll say to me I'm like do you realize that we don't live in the real world anymore we live in a we live in a virtual reality real world is the day and night cycle real world is breeding in and breeding out that's real that's that's truth right there like there you know what I mean like computers and iPhones and all the stimulation we get that's virtual reality well that's the next step that wasn't even there when I wrote my book I couldn't even speak. I mean, I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. You asked if I was still in California. I moved here because there, all that exists in Santa Fe, New Mexico is art and science. And there's physics. You know, the bomb uh, that ended the World War II was, was uh, created in Los Alamos, which is about 40 miles from here, with a lot of German scientists that we stole mm. from World War II. Mostly German, Jewish women who want to kill the Germans. And they helped us make a bomb. And all those physicists and all that science is still going on there. It's a giant military center. So I came here to find a physicist to teach me physics so that I could explain, and I will eventually in a book, that any waveform is received by the body, whether you're hearing me in a sound wave or... You're looking out your window and seeing it in a light wave. Any waveform is what we have evolved to respond to. So that iPhones, computers, wireless particularly, is striking at the very heart of who and what we are and how we measure time and how we exist. So I came here to do that. I, I, I would uh, really encourage you to check out Jack Cruz's work because J Jack is miles ahead of anything I've read like he, his, his stuff is even over my head but he's very much into that he, he believes that the three biggest things are water, magnetism and the photoelectric effect when it comes to optimal health um, yeah, so he, he's, he's really dwelled into like quantum physics with a lot of his stuff he's actually a neurosurgeon MD uh, a former dentist as well who went, to, who went back to medical school and became a neurosurgeon and his, his, his depth of knowledge matched with like quantum physics and and just other fields is just it's un untouchable now a lot of people think he's an absolute quack but maybe you know yourself when people are kind of so far ahead of the game people always attack them yeah i get a little flack i have for about a decade and people have stopped at this point i you know you read a couple of good books and they tend to step back yeah, and yeah. when i run clinical trials when i published a paper last two years ago on a mathematical equation showing that women could not possibly need progesterone alone 
that you had to have an estrogen cycle to make a progesterone receptor, and there's actually a math proof yeah. that shows as your estrogen falls off, you stop ovulating. Yeah, yeah. So I keep publishing. I'm publishing a paper in March on compounding hormones mm. and how you do it so that you can study it for safety and efficacy because it's a big issue in America right now. And I have 100 pharmacies that make the sex hormones that I, I devised, and we've all been in a study for eight years to prove that you can make them just like you go get Prozac or just like you go get, you know, any drug, Valium, you in Europe have them blister packs, but they're all the same. Yeah. And you can't run a study on hormones unless they're all the same. So I did that about eight years ago, too, so we could prove the cancer studies real and prove some other things. Yeah, so a question I've always wanted to ask, um, I always wanted to ask you whenever I got a chance to get on my show, and that's today, so I'm going to ask, is sometimes when, when I when I tell people about this this um, hibernation hypothesis or, or this this seasonal variation hypothesis of you know summer winter yin yang, some people come back and say, well, what about places in the world that don't have winters? They're kind of just the same all year round, and and I, and I gave them well, actually they do. They have a dry season and a wet season. Does that still impact the body's use of more? Uh, oh, absolutely. Estivation is the opposite of summer. Yeah. And in very hot places, they have a wet season and a dry season. You're absolutely right. But what I answered when I answered that question in the book, I talked about a National Geographic That's right, study yeah. of Borneo. In Borneo, which is right on the equator, yeah. a, a lovely woman, and I always say she was a lovely woman because she did it and I didn't have to, she collected the urine of orangutans and measured the estrogen and the insulin, yeah, which, yeah. which tells us about reproduction. Mm. And when she did it, she found that although there's fruit and long right all the time, every seven years, all the fruit trees, not one or two, come into what's called masking. They all produce food at once. And there's a wetter season. And all the orangutans reproduce every seven years. So when you look at the North Pole, above the Arctic Circle, when you look at the equator, and of course all that's going to change with climate change, and the poles are going to flip, and there's a lot that's happening, but... You know, it's kind of front row seat to the end of times, at least the times we knew. Mm. Uh, you see bigger chaotic rhythms over the smaller rhythms we can identify. So it's not day-night cycles um, into circannual rhythms that we see controlling reproduction in Borneo. What we see is a granulation down to really minute differences in sunlight and time, creating larger seven-year rhythms of reproduction and food consumption. And you'll see that in, in above the Arctic Circle, too. Mm. This wasn't so much mentioned in, in Lights Out, but it's it's something that I, I've become a little bit interested in, and I haven't really done any research, but this idea of time perception, like people who just always, and it seems to be the majority of the world, just people who've got terrible, terrible time perception. They're just late for everything. They're always late. And I've read that that is something to do with a neurotransmitter imbalance in the brain. So do you know about that, like time perception and, you know, dopamine, cortisol? Oh, it's interesting that you bring that up because we... Uh we logically would perceive time mm. by light and dark cycles. And, of course, the ancients 
perceived large chaotic rhythms of times, like the procession of equinoxes, by watching the sky and the stars move. So we've always had a bead on time perception given the environment. Yeah. Now, you and I both know the environment is virtual reality now. The lights are on all night. There's a, the TVs, the iPhones, the computers are all flickering light, which is a very different thing. We have evolved to listen to stories around flickering light, you know, caves, the caves where the little kids blew their hands with soot. We, we have a dopamine response to that that's even different than just a dopamine response to constant chronic light. All of that changes time perception. In the beginning, I thought it was really funny. I'd say to my husband, come on, let's go. And he'd say, I'll be there in a minute. Yeah. Well, eventually, I realized a computer minute is about 50. Yeah. Because if you're looking at your computer, you think it's been a minute, and it's really been about 15. Yes. So that flickering light is changing dopamine and time perception. There are studies of sick people with a fever. And we know that when you have a fever, dopamine changes. Sick people will be asked, when did the nurse, how long was the nurse gone? The nurse comes in and offers you something, goes away. People with a fever often think this person is gone a half an hour when they're gone 10 minutes. Mm. So light in the form of heat, flickering light, all of those things change time perception. What's very interesting, though, about sex hormones, which are in, in cortisol, let's start with cortisol. Cortisol measures day-night events, pulses four times a day. Let's assume you got a bad memo from your boss or you're stuck in traffic or you're poor or you're miserable. Your cortisol is always spiking, and it's not spiking in a normal pulsatile four rhythm a day. Usually, if you stay up too late and you live too long, your cortisol is down in the morning when it should be up, and it rises at night when it should be down. Yeah. So your cortisol is no longer like a metronome on a piano measuring time. So your time perception is going to be screwed. Everything, when your cortisol is off, you think everything's going too fast. You get up and you don't have enough time in the day to do everything you're supposed to do. And you feel rushed. And if you go to bed early, three nights in a row, and you wake up early, you suddenly realize your day is twice as long. Yeah. Very interesting in terms of time perception. The other thing is sex hormones. Um, when I get up to give a lecture to doctors, I will introduce the oncologist I work with, and I often say it's been eight years, ten years. She often looks at me and goes, or she'll correct me and say it's been 15 years. Yeah. And I'll say, no. And she'll say, yes, and then she explains why, and the doctors look at me like I'm stupid. But the reality is, how can I explain it? You know that famous physics experiment where you put an astronaut in a capsule and he's circling the Earth at a certain speed and the Earth is turning at his own, their own speed. When the astronaut comes down, he's been gone three days, but it's been 11 years on Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Somehow taking sex hormones in a natural rhythm stops the entropy or the deterioration of rhythms like cortisol that are measuring time. Mm. And instead of speed
speeding up, like somebody eating carbohydrates all year, instead of speeding up, like you're in heat, and like a, a you know a house that's warmed, instead of all the environmental factors influencing you via cortisol and insulin affecting your sex hormones, which then take you into entropy, you're in a bubble. I really don't know that much time has passed. Mm. My daughter, who started taking them at 22, is now 34, 35. She still looks mid-20s, and she got a note that her college was having some 10-year reunion from graduation, and she couldn't imagine it had been that long. Yeah, yeah. Your time perception actually changes depending on your hormonal milieu, from sex hormones to insulin to cortisol to melatonin. Did you sleep? Didn't you? I'm sure prolactin's part of it. So yes, time perception is fluid, and it depends on whether or not you're spinning accurately with the planet. Because it's just I don't know about you, but everyone is always seems to be in a rush and if you talk to anyone I know they always go oh my god this year went by so fast they always say that I've never I've never heard any person ever say god this year was really slow they always say this year has gone by really fast well you know the argument is that little kids are always stunned by time perception little kids will say when is summer over I want to go back to school or when is school over I want summer Everything seems to drag for small children. That's right, yeah, adults. exactly. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, are we there yet? Exactly. And the argument has always been that time perception is cumulative. That depending on how many summers you've lived, summer goes faster. That little children have that perception of time because they're young. But the reality is little children have that perception of time because of their hormones. Mm. Because they haven't hit puberty yet. Once a kid hits puberty, they're not confused anymore about how long summer is. They're really annoyed that it goes so fast. Yeah, yeah. And it's not because they're 12 years old and they live 12 years. It's because their hormones change. Yeah. T.S., just uh, waking up at night, um, could you speak about that? And before we speak about that, could you also speak about why you don't want to look at the time at night time? Well, as you age, depending on your health scenario, depending on your life, most people have interval waking. They'll wake at 2 and 4 or 1 and 3. Certainly women do. Men tend to toss and turn all night. Women who don't ovulate anymore are like men, and they hear every noise wakes them up. And if you look at a clock because you want to know what time it is, can I get up yet? Assuming your room is dark. Not everybody sleeps in a dark room. But if you look at the clock, you're going to remember what you saw. Hmm. And when you remember, you spike dopamine, and then everything cascades. Your cortisol goes up, and you're awake. If you can train yourself, Most people say they wake up to go to the bathroom. Well, the question becomes, did the urgency to go wake you up or you awake and there's nothing else to do? I don't don't know. It depends on the person. But the reality is if you can take yourself to the bathroom in the dark, get back to bed, lay down, and turn over, you'll go back to sleep. Mm. If you look at a clock or get up and try to kill time, and I love that phrase, kill time. (laughs) Anyway, um, you... You're going to get much less sleep, more fragmented and less deep sleep. 
Now, the reason you wake up is because estrogen in both men and women make human growth hormone receptors. So men make estrogen out of testosterone. Mm -hmm. Women make estrogen out of eggs. It controls human growth hormone reception. So if you have enough growth hormone to put in a growth hormone receptor, you can achieve slow wave sleep. And slow wave sleep is what keeps you asleep all night. So we find that when we give women estrogen and progesterone, and estrogen will make more growth hormone. Men need to take it because you can't really make enough estrogen from testosterone to make growth hormone, but women do. It's part of pregnancy. So if we give women enough estrogen, they sleep all night suddenly. And men with enough testosterone and growth hormone will sleep all night. Mm. When they've been awake and flopping and sweating, and men have, women have hot flashes, but men have night sweats, and that's your your vasomotor control thinking. You're dying because you know homeostasis to walk across a room and maintain your body temperature is pretty much basic. Yeah, yeah. So when you can't maintain your body temperature anymore, you're on the slippery side of the slope. Yeah. Seemingly, it's just just as we, we've we've touched on this. Obviously, this whole interview has been um, a team. Is how important circadian rhythms are. How important do you think thermal regulation rhythms are? So again, heat and cold. Do you think they're very crucial as well? The fact that we have heated homes through during the winter. Oh, absolutely! Right now, the the new big news is if you want to lose weight, get cold. Well, yeah, yeah. okay, fine. And, and they're looking at stem cell, you know, stuff I couldn't do 14 years ago. They're looking at stem cell changes under frigid temperatures. And you will actually take white fat and turn it into brown fat, which is more thermogenically active, mm-hmm. uh, just by getting cold, yeah, really yeah. cold. Okay? So, yeah, the fact that we want to be comfortable 24 hours a day. We never want to be hot in the summer. We never want to be cold in the winter has significantly created pathology in human beings. There's no question about it. Yeah. Solutions to Everything you. needs a set point. Yeah. Absolutely. A reset point. So when I say there's no hot without cold, there's no light without dark, and we go through all the yin and yang of all the possibilities, mm. that moment when something resets is the change. So at the receptor level, without a reset, if you never get cold, your receptors go down and you, you start to die in a million ways. If you never get hot, yeah. you have to understand, I was watching vitamin D. Vitamin D is, you know, every year there's a new fad. And it's last few years, it's, vitamin D is low in the whole world, low in children and elderly people and sick people and cancer and everything. Yeah. And I'm looking at this thinking it can't be low on everybody. That's yeah, crazy. Exactly, yeah. Okay? Because, you know, the argument is nobody gets enough sunlight. Well, kids on a playground get enough sunlight. If you walk from your car to the, to the quickie mart or to wherever you're going, 10 minutes of sunlight, 12 I think it is, a day is enough to make adequate vitamin D. And everybody gets 12 minutes. I'm sorry. you got to be a real shut-in not to get 12 minutes or through the window or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it's not sunscreen. It's not the lack of outdoor activity. What is it? Vitamin D is not 
a vitamin. It's a steroid hormone. It's a steroid hormone like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol, DHEA. It's a hormone. Yeah. So is vitamin E, so is vitamin A. But vitamin D, particularly, must regulate the steroid hormone rules. And I was sitting in the middle of one of my own lectures. I was watching, I saw a movie on epigenetics. And I actually stood up and said, oh my God, I get it. And everybody looked at me and I just ran out because they were watching a movie. What resets a vitamin D receptor, which allows you to make it in your skin, is darkness. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It needs darkness for the light. To, to work. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how much light, it's not how much you take, it's how much you receive. Yes. You can tell your doctor who's worried about hormone replacement. It's not how much you take, it's how much you receive. Yeah, yeah. And the receptors work on rules. And there's got to be a reset for vitamin D, and it's the dark. Yeah. It's the light is what makes it. Yeah, I heard you. So I heard... The, sleep loss, the sleep loss, the whole world experiences now means all vitamin D is low. It's so funny. It's so, it's so like... Um counterintuitive everyone's like you're not getting enough sunlight and it's like maybe you're not getting enough sleep and that's why you can't uh, you know receive yeah. vitamin no, D no it's all about sleep it's all about sleeping really dark and sleeping long enough and having a season but it took me a while to figure it out because I was thinking that's not true everybody can't be low and then I'm looking at studies and everybody's low and I'm thinking what's the difference between children and the elderly and what's the difference between you know I start to do how is this thing not like the others and then I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, it occurred to me in the dark, watching the yeah. movie, yeah. that the reset button is darkness. P.S. Uh, just and it was funny. I heard you mention that the the the, you, the Americans say vitamin in in Ireland we say vitamin vitamin D, uh, vitamin D. But yeah. um, I I heard you talk about that on, on Doctor Laura Noel's show, and you also spoke. You, well, you didn't speak so much, but you mentioned that you were looking at electromagnetic fields, EMF. Um, pollution can you do, yeah. you, do you want to touch maybe on that briefly? well emf emf like electricity like wireless like everything is a wave mm. and if it's a wave your body is going to respond by making a wave of hormone response inside to report hormones are ephemeral we talk about nanosecond to nanosecond and then you spike dhea and testosterone six times an hour as yeah. a man so we know that everything has a waveform in nature, and those waveforms are translated in the body as hormone waveforms. Mm. So EMF, I mean, we know that, that if you keep, what well, can we talk about electromagnetic fields? We, you should not sleep with your head next to the aquarium, the motor. Yeah, yeah. EMF. We know that your walls are filled with wires leaking electricity. We know that when you go camping, when you sleep outside, it's a very different sleep. Anyone who camps reports that not being surrounded by electrical wires in a room gets deeper, gets different. You can sleep on the hard ground. You don't care because you're unconscious. Mm. It's a very different thing to camp out. Um, I always, there's, there's a man named Hammeroff, you should look at, Stuart Hammeroff, and he works with Roger Penrose, mm. who's a very famous physicist. Roger wrote a book called The Emperor's New Mind, and Hammeroff is an anesthesiologist in Tucson, Arizona, 
Kamaroff wanted to know why, when he told his patients a joke, he would tell them a joke as he was putting them to sleep for surgery, they would wake up and want the punchline immediately. Kamaroff said, why don't they go somewhere? Why don't they dream? What's happening in their mind that they wake up in the same spot? I left them. So he went to Penrose. And he said, you just wrote a book called The Emperor's New Mind, and you're obviously interested in biophysics, not just physics. Mm. What, you know, I always tell doctors that medicine is based on biology. Biology is based on chemistry, and chemistry is based on physics. So the only real medicine ultimately will be physics. So these two guys get together, and you can find them on YouTube. It's Hammeroff and Penrose, and they came up with consciousness in qubits or quantum bits in the brain, in microtubules, shaped like steroid hormones, by the way, oh and whether or not consciousness is part, is the emergent property of living things, in mm. other words, like water is the emergent property of hydrogen and oxygen, is this third thing consciousness in a human being an emergent property of chemistry. So mm -hmm. when you die, it goes away, or when your chemistry stops working. Or is consciousness a discrete entity that enters living things that's in physics part of the whole universe? Very interesting question. So they're trying to decide whether or not consciousness as a discrete entity can stay in a unified form when you die. In other words, is there a soul? You know the old joke about you're 21 grams lighter after death. Is that 21 <laughs> grams your soul? Yeah. Good question. So I always think about the fact, you know what a Faraday cage is? Faraday cage is wire that grounds you magnetically to the earth. So you can make a Faraday cage. Faraday, the scientist, figured this out a long time ago and keep electric inside so if in fact you know we're surrounded by wires more importantly in very old houses did you ever think robbie about the fact that nobody reports ghosts in subdivisions or suburbs or housing developments they report ghosts in very old houses yeah and those houses have chicken wire in the last and they're all faraday cages so <laughs> When you ask me about electricity and magnetism, the first thing I think about beyond the damage that a cell phone can do to egg production, you know, you put a cell phone in your jeans pocket and as a young woman, your egg production goes down by 60%. Holy shit. Besides the obvious damage it can do in contact, I'm holding this phone to my head, I think about the fact that it's changing consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Let's... I mean, uh, the, definitely, I'm going to get that name off those guys and, and I'll put the, try and find that video on YouTube and put it in the show notes. T.S., I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer, um, but there's just a few, well, like a few other little bits of you, if you want to maybe give more quick fire round answers, if you could. Uh, I often get people going, oh, I don't need sleep, I can nap. What's your take on naps? Naps uh, occur in excavation. You take a nap when it's too hot to stay outside. You come in and close curtains against the light and the heat, and most people fall asleep. Naps do not replace 
the time before midnight when no children happens. Yeah, I always, I always say that too. Is, is, is the reason why people fall asleep or nap, well, I know there's a number of reasons, but is it, is it that they need to get that melatonin as well? That their body's craving well, melatonin? Full, well, actually, they're full of serotonin. These are people who aren't sleeping well at night, most of them, and they come in, and if they can make it dark or they can lay down, serotonin will turn into melatonin, melatonin and yeah. they get a little shot in the middle of the day. Yeah, 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 yeah that's it. Um, I read this book called The Circadian Prescription and, and it was very much about the timing of other activities in the day so like you know having a big protein fat breakfast and, and, the, and well that was one of the things and, and then like the certain times that you exercise that these are actually cues to your body of what time of day it also is that also like they're, they're kind of sub subcategories so like obviously the day light would, and, the, and the thermal regulation are the kings but then certain things like a bell movement in the morning the timing of your meals the time of your exercise uh, like, do, do you think they're big factors into in optimizing your circadian rhythms? Sure. I think optimizing, mean, I didn't read that book. After I wrote my book, I kind of walked away from it. And I certainly read clinical studies, and I'm interested in whether I was right or not. You mm. know, that kind of thing. But the rea- I've been asked to rewrite Lights Out, and I might. But I think optimizing circadian rhythmicity to, you know, take a hot bath before bed or to eat certainly protein in the morning, to eat exercising. There's a very interesting man who wrote, his name is Irving Dardick, Mm. D-A-R-D-I-C-K. In an entire cardiac program on circadian exercise using moon cycles, and really had great benefits to heart disease. So I'm sure there's something to that. Your heart beats up 200 beats and down 200 beats, you know? I mean, everything has a rhythm. Another thing I'm very interested, I, I got this from Paul Check. He says he says that if, if you move from the co- your, your country of origin to another country that has a, has a very much removed circadian clock than where you were born. So let's say I live in Ireland and let's say I was to move to California, which is eight hours behind Ireland. He believes that that is a huge stressor like for the rest of your life, even if you do obviously adapt to the circadian rhythm in California, he believes that 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 will always be some sort of a low grade stress. Because in one of his health questionnaires, he always asks, "What country or what circadian rhythm zone were you born in?" Well, if your family has not been migratory, in other words, if your family didn't move around over the generations, yeah, I I think inbreeding in terms of the light and the food uh, gives your genetic cascades a rhythm that is identifiable. Yeah. However, if your family's migratory, and, you know, you might be in Ireland now, but you might have been in Spain before, you might have been in England at one point, or you might have been in Scotland, or even if we're going to be Celtic, you might have been in Germany. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, you've adapted many times. I don't think it's so much about the eight-hour time difference, but I think it's... I happily felt better you're exposed to I think you're in Santa Fe New Mexico we're 7,000 feet up and we moved here from Santa Barbara California which was sea level now I did it on purpose because my husband's a type 2 diabetic and at altitude your blood sugar is 15 points lower than it is at sea level it was tough to stop reactive hypoglycemia or a constant appetite mm. 
to drop his blood sugar 15 points. He lost 50 pounds. He's in better shape. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, where you are matters greatly. So, yeah, yeah. So, but if, just, just for instance, if I was to move to the West Coast, and I did adapt. I, I like I adapted to the circadian rhythms there as much as or as well as I have here in Ireland. You still think that it, overall, you you know, you will stay healthy? Well, there's stress. You know, when you talk about stressors, it's it's an interesting word. The man who invented the word um, stress. He, oh God, what's his name? Hansele. Uh, Hansele. Yeah. Yeah, Hans Selye invented the word stress, and there's a great book called From Molecules to Man, if you ever want to read his work. It's a little heavy because it was written by scientists on his 100th birthday about his work, but it's, it's remarkable, mm. uh, Molecules to Man. And Hans Selye talked about the stressors of adaptation. That He was where I, I thought about the fact that he talked about constant constant light and food, never changing with the seasons, with the scripture, because you never make it from summer to winter in our culture. So that becomes pathology, the chronic stress of trying to keep up with summer when you were supposed to have a break, yeah. or the constant stress of trying to keep up with winter when you were supposed to have a break. Mm. So in California, where it's seven seasons in Santa Barbara every day, mm. Um, that's a certain kind of stress. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up near the Great Lakes, and we had defined seasons, and I always found it uncomfortable in California. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's just an interesting an interesting point. I I just wanted to see your your take on it. Just last three questions. Yeah, I I can't disagree that it must be looked at. Yeah. Last three questions, and then I'll, I'll let you go. T.S. Uh, grounding mats while you sleep. There seems to be a bit of a, you know, uh, pe- like a disagreement among people. Some people think they're great. Other people think it's not great. Because again, if you go back to that electromagnetic fields, you know. So, uh, have you heard of these grounding mats that you put them on your feet when you go to sleep? You, you plug it in, and well, I've I've heard of the ones you put under your mattress. Yeah. that changes an electromagnetic field. Yeah. I don't know. It's very interesting. If it had, you know, the Earth puts out fifty hertz. Yeah. all the time. So if you walk barefoot, you pick up iodine through your feet, you have a different magnetic, you know, um, milieu. So I can't say that it's bad, but unless it's going to run an interference wave with the electricity coming out of the walls, mm. it does, I don't know, uh, whether it's more or less than the Earth's magnetic field. I would guess they tried to ground you, like, the earth that's exactly yeah, I don't that, know that's it that's, it. that's, well, that's an interesting idea yeah that's, I, a, you know. that's apparently what they do like uh, it's it's basically just to give off the same electromagnetic field as the earth like I, I, you might know more than me but apparently because you know we have free radicals in our bodies and they're positively charged electrons and then there's a negative charge coming from the earth and that's basically what the mat is trying to do when we walk on the mat or stand on the mat barefoot and it's more so for like countries like Ireland that have like winters and you can't really be walking out barefoot in the grass for 30 minutes because you'll catch pneumonia so you know something like that well don't you find it interesting that the people who and now there's new evidence that there are 800,000 which rivals the Latoli footprints in Africa 800,000 year old footprints in England, they found them last week. Oh my God. You know, with climate change, now you can see what's under there. And there are all these footprints of a group of people 
fine to walk to the mainland because there was a land bridge at that point. Now, 800,000 years ago, there was winter, and we're walking barefoot. They're making footprints, or maybe they got a little bit of, you know, skins on their feet. So you just said if you walk in the winter barefoot or lightly shod, you're going to get pneumonia. Doesn't that tell you we're in a weakened state. Yeah. Well, uh, well, what, what, what I will preface with that is, is that people who are not adapted to the cold and walk out barefoot, they'll get pneumonia. But obviously, people who have that, ter- like our ancestors, they obviously were able to flip the switch from summer metabolism to winter metabolism, and they could have walked around barefoot. Yeah. I. Um, okay. Yeah, fire ahead. Fire ahead. I was just commenting. That if you tried going out barefoot in the winter mm. for short periods of time, extending those periods of time over the winter, you might adapt. You would adapt. You know, yeah. it doesn't take fifty thousand years anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, and I, 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 I really think you would love Jack Ruse's work because he goes into all this type of stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. My last two questions were um, solutions. Then to yes, I mean, you know, people always go well. You know, like, what, what do you want me to do? Like, put on candles? Like, you know, I've got kids, I have a family. So, like, uh, just the, the, the solutions I give are to, you know, maybe get red light bulbs or amber light bulbs and to get the blue block glasses. They're usually the ones I give. What, what would you advise? Well, I would advise you're aware of time and space. I would advise, advise that summertime is Margaritaville. You know, you can do <laughs> what you want. You can do what you want. You can stay up late. But as the seasons change, you must. Up your bedtime 15 minutes to an hour. Yeah. I mean, most people can go to bed an hour early. Some people can't. But you start in September. And by the time you hit November, December, you should be going to bed no early, no later than two hours after dark. And, mm. you know, in northern climates, it's dark at 4.30. It's dark at 5.30. That's really hard. But you can crawl into bed. You can have red light bulbs you can turn the lights down you can read you know i always say my book will put anybody to sleep in 15 minutes you can read with a light next to you but not overhead anything overhead is like the sun and you'll fall asleep now whether or not you'll stay asleep for 14 hours is a big debate whether or not anybody did is a big debate there's this extinct sleep state that usually is between midnight and like three, four o'clock in the morning where people would lay there in a semi-conscious state called the awake alert state. You know, you see babies staring and they're not really awake, really mm. infants. And that's called awake alert. And that's when people solve problems. That's when they talk to the gods. That's when they gave birth. Yeah. It's, a, it's a transcendental state, if mm. you will. And not bad. So if you can get to bed no more than two hours after dark and you find yourself awake alert, don't get up, don't wander around, don't turn the lights on, meditate, quite literally, and solve problems. I'm not talking about worrying, I'm talking about bigger issues, mm-hmm. philosophical stuff, not whether you pay the taxes. And, you know, it's a normal state to be in, and if you can do that for a few months, every winter, your life will change significantly. Yeah. Your days will seem longer. You've got to get up at dawn. You've got to take a walk for 10 minutes when the sun comes up and watch the light change. And your cortisol's much better. You can do that every day starting tomorrow. Yeah. Now, if you're tired when you get up at dawn, 
and you can barely do it. That means you went to bed too late. Yeah. The yeah. earlier you go to bed, the earlier you can get up. Exactly. Uh, like as as I said at the very start of the show, like <clears throat> your your book was a game changer for my health. Like two years ago, like. I did labs on my circadian, my my, my circadian, uh, my my cortisol, my adrenal stress profile was all over the place and everything. But just my circadian rhythm was all over the place. I was staring at a computer screen like right up to eleven o'clock at night, and it was the depth of winter. And as soon as I changed my circadian rhythms, like I say, like all my friends are so sick and tired of me. Like when my friends always come to me with any issues, I'm like, well, tell me two things. Tell me about your sleep and your food. And then like the, like that's all it. Because I'm like, if you if you don't have your your sleep sorted out, your sleep cycles and what what you're putting in your mouth there's no point in that talking about discussing anything any further here because I, I i'm very biased i suppose because circadian rhythms were just the biggest things that changed my health like so i'm so religious like like every night uh, in the winter time anyway at like 8 p 8 p.m my phone goes off i put on i put on blue blockers i'm always asleep by about 9 30 and i just feel like a million and bu- i always feel like a million yeah. bucks uh just my yeah. Go, go People ahead. don't realize how sick they are. Oh, unbelievable. You get in your, well, you get in your to feeling like crap, you know? Yeah. And when you suddenly feel better, it's it's like somebody washed the windows, you yeah. know? It's like the lights go on. Exactly. You feel so much better. Uh, my final my final uh, question here is who who is Brem Formby because every time Lights Out is mentioned, it's T.S.Y. T.S.Y. I'm like, but who's this Brem Formby that wrote the book with her or helped her? Hans Formby is a Danish scientist. He's retired now. Yeah. I met Dent 15 years ago, apparently. Taguchi would tell me it was 15 years ago. And I uh, met him at some meeting about a breast cancer resource center. And I said something to him about uh, insulin-causing breast cancer. He was a researcher at a place called Santa Medical Research Institute in Santa Barbara. Mm. And I walked away, and he called me found my name on the list of people who were there and wanted to talk more. Dent encouraged me to take the work out of uh, Low Fat Lies and make it my own because my question was always, how could people think they could live without fat and protein? This is back in the day. And my answers, you know, Dent did the research. I would say this is the question. And he, you know, computers were just happening at that point in terms of, Searches. We didn't have Google, we didn't have Google Scholar, but you could search. And Bent, being a research scientist who published many papers, he was a molecular biologist and a, and a PhD in chemistry. Mm. He did the research, taught me, need to know, you know, went much quicker need to know, molecular biology, uh, endocrinology I had a good feel for And I've taken the endocrinology and the molecular biology and pushed it onto genomics and the kind of work I'm doing in physics here. Mm. Uh, but Dent was was a scientist, or still is, but he's retired, who lived in Santa Barbara, California. So that's, uh, I, just, I was just always curious, because I never heard him t- spoke about anywhere else. But uh, T.S. Yeah, Dent was never out there. I mean, these are my original hypotheses yeah, and eventually yeah. theories. Now you can call them theories, now that we have support. And especially the stuff in Lights Out, Bent worked on breast cancer more. Bent is also on Sex, Lives, and Menopause, that book. He won't be on Hard Times, the testosterone research I've done since then. Taguchi, the oncologist, will probably be on Hard Times. But Bent is in his late 70s at this point, so he's retired. Great stuff. And and taking loads of hormones, I I hope. (laughs) 
Yeah, I hope so, too. I haven't talked to Ben in a while. Uh, Julie saw him uh, in Santa Barbara and sees his wife. They're all still in Santa Barbara. I reached escape velocity about three years ago when my last daughter went to college, and I moved everybody to the house we had in Santa Fe because I knew it would be better for my husband, and I wanted to do more physics research. And I own a pharmacy here. I wanted to own a pharmacy and have uh, the ability to do more R&D in the lab with, with hormones and stuff. Final question, T.S. What did you have for your breakfast today? Uh, I got up and ate cold steak. <laughs> I ate cold steak in the refrigerator. Oh, that's brilliant. You know, yes, cup um, of coffee, cold steak, you know, coffee with heavy cream. That's brilliant. Uh-huh. Everyone loves the yeah. coffee with heavy cream. T.S., uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. I mean, that's that's been not, what, I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes. We, we had the little crash there in between, but actually the people won't even, well, they'll know now that I said it, but <laughs> I'll just fix it up together. But it's uh, for me, it's 20 past six here in Ireland, and it's been dark for 20 minutes, so I need to get off this get off this computer screen. It's killing my melatonin, even though I have my blue blocker. Yeah, you do. I have my blue blocker glasses on, so they're helping. But, yeah, get some, get some dark time. I was thinking it was nighttime there. It was a pleasure to talk to you, Robbie. If you ever need anything, give me a call. Absolutely, TS. Thanks a million, and guys, thanks for listening to the show, and hopefully we'll have TS on again. Thanks a million, TS. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>